evening is when we are recording it. State of Ready. Um, this is Ed again, coming to you from uh, the top left corner of the map, uh, Portland, Oregon. And as always, with us is Bill Fogarty. I am coming from you from the west side of the map, all the way in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm also from State of Ready and uh, happy to be back in the brand new 2019 New Year. Yeah, 2019. It, it, can you? All right. Just I'm just saying last year went by fast and we're now recording this pretty much in the middle of January. So I don't know. I mean, 2019 just seems to be flying by um, and just trying to keep up with everything. How about you there, Bill? Absolutely. You know, I find it absolutely amazing that every single year, uh, as I get older, the years seem to be going by faster and faster. And uh, it gets to the point where if you don't get on a schedule, you don't get focused on what you need to get done. Time just goes right by you. That's true. They never told me in high school that my life was going to go a lot faster once I got out of it. So all <laughs> you state of ready listeners out there who are still in high school and wishing to graduate, don't because <laughs> time flies by like that. Um, so yeah, well, we are back again for 2019. Hopefully you got to check out the 2018 year in review from our last episode um, where we talked about what we were going to do for 2019 and one of our very first episodes that we are chatting about and we've been wanting to chat about for a while actually is go bags. The whole premise of emergency kits and go bags and, and really the foundation of what emergency management's original push was, uh, was to get the communities prepared and make sure you have a, whether it's a go bag, a 72 hour kit, a bug out bag, a disaster kit, so many different names. But that's kind of the reason why we are taping um, or we're uh, doing this episode here is we're kind of, you know, everybody has that resolution, right, Bill, to, to do something new for the new year. And so, you know, we thought it'd be a great idea for us to get together and talk about go bags. And what would, I mean, Right now, what do you think, Bill? What's the reason why go bags are back on our conversation? Well, as you said, I think uh, it's a brand new year, and this is a great way to go ahead and begin your year to be prepared for everything and anything that might possibly face you. And by that, really, what we're looking at is, you know, and we've had a lot of wildfires once again down here, the entire city of uh, Chico and Paradise end up uh, having obviously a lot of problems after last year's Napa and Sonoma. Uh, we also have obviously, unfortunately, had active shooter or violent intruder incidents occur. And really uh, getting prepared for earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes and really looking at what might be impacting your communities, making sure to get ahead of it by getting all the things you need in one spot and uh, ready to go for you and your family. And that includes even your two and four legged friends also. Mm -hmm. Very important. Um, because like you brought out these wildfires, there was a recent animation I shared on Twitter and on LinkedIn about how quickly the Paradise Fire uh, from start to impacting and evacuating or impacting and taking over the town was in the span of about two hours. So imagine if you had two hours or even less time to evacuate, what would you grab? You know, take a look inside your house right now. What would you take? What are the vitals? I mean, do you have to go searching around for something because you think, oh, last time I saw that important document, photo album, uh, memento, where was it that I want to take with me? You know, if all of that is a put where it has to be, then we're able to quickly get it. Uh, and so when that comes to the whole concept of where a go bag started, um, it really kind of started with, uh, I, I mean, we could talk about history, you know, the pioneers and frontiersmen, but really during World War II, when the pilots were flying over enemy territory uh, or over long distances, and for some reason, whether it was engine failure or enemy action, they had to bail out over hostile terrain, what did they have with them? You know, what were the crucial items that they needed to either um, escape 
uh, back to friendly territory or what were the crucial items they needed to stay in place for a while while they were awaiting rescue. And so having the important items that you'd need to get you through the first few hours or days of survival um, were crucial for, for those pilots flying over enemy territory. And that, it, as a pilot, I'll tell you, that's we carried emergency stuff that we needed in case we had to set down our aircraft somewhere. And so that hasn't changed from pilots nowadays, um, especially those uh, who are flying in combat right now or even just great long distances over the bush pilots or so in Alaska. I mean, they have requirements to have survival gear on board, um, everything from emergency food and water stuffs to uh, shelter, lighting, and even weapons if you're flying over enemy territory, even in the bush to protect you from wild animals. So these requirements exist. We kind of adopt them as the general public, knowing it's good prudence to be able to have items there that we need whenever a situation arises where we wouldn't have access to them normally, or we're placed in a situation where we are out of our own status quo. And, and I think you really started talking about sort of the modern history and the past history. What do you think is the current need uh, for a bug out bag or a to bag now? You know, it is, um, it, it really depends on where you're at and what hazards you have to deal with. But really the primary purpose of those bug out bags is to allow one to evacuate quickly if a disaster should strike. And therefore it is prudent to make sure that you have in one singular place and in a place that is easy to carry out, uh, out with you, whether it's a backpack or a rolling bag, all of the materials and supplies that might be required for the next foreseeable, I would say, and recommend 72 hours uh, until organizations are able to come in and provide recovery, response, and relief um, for your area where you're at. Would you say so? I agree. You know, we have in recent years seen that uh, it does take a long time to start mobilizing relief efforts and get people up and going and really get some people's supplies that they need. And that's one of the things that I think uh, now FEMA is trying to go ahead and prepare people for as well is sort of get ahead of the game and make sure you're prepared and understand that's going to take a little while to mobilize. So you need to make sure you're prepared as well. And part of that means you need to make sure that you have what you need for yourself and for your family. And to make sure that you're ready to go for 72 hours. And, you know, it may take a little bit longer. Um, I know that I've heard many a story of people doing some pretty heroic things before hurricanes came or tornadoes and filling up bathtubs full of water in case there's no more water supply. Uh, thinking about what they need to food uh, and water and shelter to make sure they're prepared to go through and survive and get ready for the recovery efforts that are going to happen afterwards. Yeah, and it really is depended on the disasters. Like you were saying, if you have a hurricane, you usually have days out where all of a sudden the days leading up to the hurricane, you can gather a lot of stuff. But for us, especially here on the West Coast, the earthquake threat that we have to deal with as well as a tsunami one, and even as we've seen wildfires, you either have minutes to get yourself ready and start evacuating or absolutely no notice at all. And once the shaking starts, it's whatever you've got. And if you don't have it all in one place or you aren't at home where your go kits are, then what happens, Bill? Well, I think, you know, if you're not at home, then you need to think about your get me home bag. And one of the things we can start talking about is really think about what you need in your car or on your person to be able to get yourself from home. I'm sorry, to home from work in an emergency. And that's where an emergency where transportation may not be available to you. Uh, so you need to start thinking about where you could walk to, how you're going to end up getting home. 
think about having food to be able to go ahead and eat as you're going home so that way you can keep yourself going. Think about having enough water so you can get through in case all the other paths are blocked. And so you have to figure out where you're going to be able to get some sort of hydration or something to go ahead and keep going. And then also think about having walking shoes. You know, how many people do you know who leave the house and they're either dressed in flip-flops or uh, sandals or, you know, for some people who are wearing heels, you need to think about how you're going to be able to walk around and get home and make sure it's comfortable. Uh, the other thing is have a map that's not based on some sort of electricity or some sort of Wi-Fi. Make sure you know how to get from point A to point B and also where you're going to be going to in case you have to get to a shelter. Here in San Mateo County, we have shelters that are available. We don't publicize what those are until we're ready to activate them. But you should probably have a map of the area so you know where you need to get to. And then the other thing is have clothing available to you in case it's raining. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times where we've gone out to a situation where we realize we're going to be stuck out in the rain and it's going to be bad weather and it's going to be there for a really, really, really long time. And so, oh, you know, like Oregon. <laughs> I said, it sounds like Oregon, right? right. <laughs> so, you know, I think that, you know, you start thinking about that. It really is dependent upon um, what you feel you're going to need in sort of a worst case situation. And Ed, how would you do that? Well, um, Going along your thought about, you know, having a get me home kit, just if you consider what, how long is your commute, you know, uh, do you commute five miles to work Can imagine having to walk that. Uh, one of the things I talk about when you are assessing what's going on is consider time of day, time of season. Um, and like a lot of the stuff that you have, you may already have, you may already have. Uh, or walking shoes because you carry a gym bag, or you might have a water bottle. So a lot of this stuff is already what we call your everyday carry, the stuff you already carry with you. Uh, one of the more critical things I think you got to also put in these everyday carry or get me home is uh, consider a flashlight. Um, because if you are walking, uh, at, especially here in the Northwest, in the middle of December at about 4.30, it's dark. You have a disaster that strikes at 3.00 and you got to walk home five miles in the dark and the rain, like Bill brought out, having uh, uh, adequate cover for the weather. So a lot of this stuff we may already carry when it comes to that. So do an assessment and an inventory of the needs that you have, even if it's throwing in an extra Laura bar or um, a granola bar, um, filling up your water bottle before you leave work, um, and any medications that you may carry with you on person because you're already taking them throughout the day or any over the counter. So having maybe one of those travel size Tylenols um, or anything that you might need. If for some reason there's a disaster and you're going to be somewhere, you know, and you're going to be there for a while, um, you don't necessarily have to go out and buy these huge backpacks or these tactical backpacks. A lot of it may fit in your purse or if you already carry a backpack, go ahead and throw some stuff in there. Um, and if they wanted to figure out what to throw in, Bill, where could they go? Well, you know, one of the things I've seen for myself is I usually go online and I start looking at what other people are doing. It really got me started when I first started looking at Costco. In case you don't know, Costco sells a wholesale kit that you can actually see that supply for seven days. Uh, I believe it's 31 days and I also believe it's a whole year kit. So you can go online and look there. Uh, you can also look at different prepping websites. There's a lot of people who are putting out a lot of really good information. So looking online there, I go on Twitter a lot and it's amazing to me how many people are talking about what they have in their go bags and what they have ready to go in case of a disaster. And really putting that information out there is really important. I've also seen some people putting information on LinkedIn or on other websites. And so think about where you can network with people and where you can get good information. Um, 
I think the other thing is, Ed, what would you do once you actually go online and see all these ideas? Yeah. So, I mean, the, there is so many things that are out there online. I've seen them. I've sold them. Um, and so you see a lot of the, these ready-made kits and these pre-made kits out there. Great option if you just want to get a disaster kit. But really think about what you use often on a daily basis. And think about maybe buying two of those so that you can store one of those in a go bag. Um, talking about, let's, for example, a travel toothbrush. Um, putting an extra one of those in there. Um, if you are so inclined, um, put in beer, you know, put a can of beer in or a glass or a little bottle of wine. You never know. Um, you know, disaster can be a stressful idea. You'll be the most popular person in the shelter or in the office when that happens. Um, but, uh, what do you use often? Canned food, maybe throw in a can of tuna MREs. If you have them, like I said, an extra box of the Laura bars. And most importantly, and I cannot stress this enough, a lot of the go bags that are out there pre-made ready-made are good but then you have to do an assessment of it and then also throw in a roll of toilet paper not joking ed that is probably (laughs) the most important thing you know having a roll of toilet paper that and having some sort of form of alcohol are going to make good trading partners for anything else you may actually need i i can't say a number of times that someone has said where's the toilet paper in the last second and people are uh, pointing fingers at each other trying to figure out where it's coming from (laughs) <laughs> and uh, real quick, uh, we've done this on our other uh, episodes, but definitely a plug for Resilience uh, Brew by Sierra Nevada. Um, what help out their communities of Paradise and all those other communities that are affected by wildfire? Um, they have worked in agreement with a lot of other craft breweries out there. And if you like beer, even if you don't, pick up a six pack or 12 pack of resilience brew. It should be out there already and definitely um, help out those wildfire uh, survivors and the recovery efforts that are going on. And as we were doing this build, put in fault line beer. So if you're up in the Sunnyvale area, give them a check out. Absolutely. I think the other thing to think about is uh, another plug for, you know, Budweiser. Budweiser has come through time in and time out with water already canned, ready to go, and they've rolled it out to areas that need it. And I can't say thank you enough to them, uh, along with uh, as a couple other things we've talked about, like Tide brings out their uh, washing for hope. And, you know, I really can't emphasize enough how important it is that our big corporate partners are actually there as well to help out. Definitely. And I mean, what are, what do we need to, it's not just us, right, Bill? It's not just us that are pre- are getting ourselves prepared. Who else do we need to? Well, I think, you know, obviously you need to start with yourself and think about what you're going to need and then build it out from there and think about your partner. Uh, think about what they would need as well. And by your partner, that means whoever it is that you are either neighbor with, friend with, roommate with, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever it may be. Um, really thinking about what they would need as well. And that goes also to your children um, and your children being your two-legged and four-legged variety. Uh, think about what your kids would need to go ahead and survive. Think about what they're likely to start needing as they go further and further. Uh, I have a little one and I can't tell you, he eats nonstop and just doesn't mm-hmm. end up stopping. Uh, and then that goes to the four-legged variety. And my four-legged variety friend also ends up eating nonstop as well. So really thinking about the food and medications, something you're going to get to help them so that they can survive by drinking, uh, making sure all those things are ready to go. And this also goes down to medication for them as well. And I can't, again, tell you how many times you start thinking about what a dog or a cat or something else may end up needing in case of disaster, making sure you have those on hand as well. 
very uh, very important and specific to them because maybe some i know that uh when it comes to having a go bag uh putting the appropriate food especially if they have allergies uh not a, there's not a one size fits all when it comes to taking care of our children or significant other or even family members who may be living with us so making sure that we have appropriate uh, f- uh food items for them uh because if they do have allergies so making sure in a disaster situation when things may be scarce having enough for them but that goes into our next segment about all the stuff we like to talk about that goes into our go bag there so we will be right back with our next segment what is in your go bag And ladies and gentlemen, we are back and we will be talking now about what is in your go bag. First thing is think about the things you have to have. And by have to have, that means food and water for at least 72 hours. You can look around. Canada has one recommendation. New Zealand has another recommendation. The United States has another recommendation. Here's what you need to do. You need to think about how much water you need to drink. Then you need to think about how much water you need to bathe. And then you need to think about how much water you need to go ahead and cook. You need to make sure you have everything you need so that that way you are ready to go. And that's water for yourself, your significant other, your children, and your pets. Next thing is non-perishable food. Everyone loves to have fresh food. But when you start looking about the things you might need, get some things in jars, peanut butter, jelly, some, have some MREs. Ed, I know you mentioned that earlier and really start thinking about what it is that you may end up getting that's going to survive and last you a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And when we bring up the topic about water and water is a crucial uh, item because water is not just used to drink for us to hydrate, but then is also used for sanitation and cleaning and everything. And once you start considering the water needs, those start to add up a lot higher and higher. Now, consider where you are. If I was giving a preparedness presentation in Phoenix, Arizona, it would be a lot different than if I was doing it here in Portland, Oregon, or in Seattle because of our access to water. So, And water is bulky when you try to store it somewhere. So consider water purification supplies. And there are plenty of them out there uh, and very reputable ones as well. So if you are living in a water-rich environment or maybe you're next to a river, creek, or lake, Consider um, storing enough water, but then also having a water purification method so that you can go to those ready access places uh, for water and then be able to uh, use, make it potable for you so that you can either drink it or use it for sanitation. And then having cooking supplies. It really, if you think about it, it's going to be camping. So if you're backpacking a lot or have experience doing so, you may already have a lot of this information and items already down. Uh, So you're not really having to rewrite the wheel or go out on a large shopping trip. You can utilize a lot of the stuff that you have in place right now, especially when it comes to cooking supplies, uh, pots, pans, camp stoves. Never cook a camp stove inside, though. But camp stoves um, that you can utilize outside if you're in a shelter environment or so. And I think, you know, one of the most important things there is to make sure you have some sort of lighting supplies to make sure you can get a fire. Uh, I recently saw online a couple of things about, a, you know, this never ending match that you can go ahead and keep using over and over again. But really you need to think about what you're going to need when all of a sudden disaster hits and you're trying to start a fire because you don't want to be trying to use a magnifying glass or uh, use your hands to go ahead and rub wood together to go ahead and get the fire going. Survivor style. 
Exactly. Uh, you know, the other thing is you need to think about a first aid kit and what goes in a first aid kit. And, uh, you know, one of the things we keep talking about is uh, trying to make sure you stay clean. And so hand sanitizer would not be a bad thing to think about. Yeah. Hand sanitizer. Um, one of the things that we have to consider is what happens post-disaster if you didn't have time to evacuate out of there. So hurricanes and wildfires, if we have the time, we are going to evacuate, but we're talking something like a large earthquake that hits a metropolitan area that comes with no notice. I'm looking at you Pacific Northwest and San Francisco and Los Angeles and everywhere else on the West Coast. Those types of situations where all of a sudden the infrastructure is broken and you can have uh, dysentery and other types of diseases pop up uh, from the result of bad sanitation methods that can really make your recovery during a disaster, uh, almost unbearable, being sick with vomiting and dehydration. So having a way to sanitize your hands uh, whenever you touch things is critical. Um, in addition, we feminine hygiene is crucial uh, to um, putting uh, something in your first aid kit. But in addition, tampons and maxi pads are great for first aid, uh, for using as a uh, hemorrhaging or stopping hemorrhage and soaking up blood if somebody is perhaps injured during a uh, situation. And uh, Bill, what's a good thing we can use if we have a cut and we want to seal it? You know, one of the great things is super glue. And I know it sounds silly, but really you can actually use super glue to actually suture up wounds. And, you know, you don't want to get infected. You want to make sure you do everything you can. But if you have some problem where it's nonstop bleeding, a cut to your hand, cut to your leg, you're using machete and you accidentally whacked a little too hard, you know, you can actually think about using super glue to start sealing up those wounds. Which I think super glue was originally designed as a first aid kit. I remember correctly. That is, something. That is correct. Hey, yo. I learned my history. <laughs> and Ed, you have toilet paper before. What's important about the toilet paper? Once again, we go back to sanitation when it comes to toilet paper. Uh, toilet paper is crucial um, because it separates the human waste and allows you to have a barrier between doing your number two uh, so that you don't get anything on your hands. But toilet paper can also be utilized for a lot of different things. It can be used as fire starter. It could be used as a trading uh, tool so that you can trade for any type of things that you may need. Um, and so toilet paper, or you can toilet paper your neighbor's house and say, hey, I got you know, I'm prepared, you're not, or whatever it may be. Give it to the kids in a shelter. I don't know. Um, but toilet paper is crucial because I say those disaster kits that you buy, that's one of the things that we always seem to forget, but we need the most. So always, you know, take a look at your disaster kits tonight, today, this morning when you're re listening to us and grab an extra roll and throw it in there to make sure. And I think, you know, definitely on that is also think about the necessary clothing that you need. This is socks and underwear. Uh, you know, look, I understand we keep telling everybody to make sure to be prepared, but part of this is also making sure that you have something that's going to keep your feet warm. Nothing is more miserable, and I can tell you from being out in the pouring rain and walking around with wet feet. Uh, it starts off just, it, it ends up just grinding you down and really getting you all the way down so that you don't even want to do anything. And the other thing is making sure you obviously have a clean set of underwear you're probably going to be in an emergency situation out there for a long time. And that means you're going to be trying to make sure you can, you keep yourself clean and making sure you have enough to go ahead and take care of. And the other thing is, again, you can think about maybe bargaining and using this as trading tools with other people. Yeah. I like what you brought out uh, about, you know, being miserable in a disaster. And a lot of times if you are, you are the survivor in a disaster, nothing comforts the soul more than something that upbuilds your morale. 
So even something as simple, and I've been backpacking here in the Northwest and being out in the rain and getting caught in a rain shower. The first thing you do when you break camp that I do at least is switch my socks out. And just having clean socks on your feet, it's a big morale booster. And a lot of that, I mean, we could talk about all this stuff, but your morale and your viewpoint and what you're looking out towards um, is crucial in order to process what's going on and then make it in the next, whether it's hours, days, weeks ahead. Um, another big morale booster is fire starting. Uh, we remember that scene in Castaway where Tom Hanks is like, oh, I have made fire. Um, fire is crucial to both keep you warm, keep you safe and provide you light. And so having some sort of fire starting tool that's in your go bag, whether it's matches or ferro rod, even a lighter nine volt battery. How many of you out there learn how to steal wool, nine volt battery, and you can start a fire there? If not, I kids, have. Don't. <laughs> um, I taught my kids how to do that. Don't also don't do that inside. Um, <laughs> but also having something, even uh, like a small candle or something that burns for longer than five seconds, um, having something, especially, and I, I've talked about this before with other presentations. If you have little tiny candles and you're in the mountain somewhere uh, and stuck in your car, having that candle going can keep the temperature above freezing. As long as you crack the window, let that stuff out. Um, can keep the temperature of the car above freezing uh, during the coldest parts of the night, but just having a little candle going. Um, and so it's, it not only makes you feel better, gives you light, provides warmth, but is also a morale booster. And I think that, you know, when you get down to not only morale boosters, but also think about sort of the have to have, Having uh, some medications and having what you need for yourself, that is everything from Advil and aspirin uh, to anything that somebody may need, penicillin, something that you may need for a long amounts of time. Uh, making sure that you have inhalers, making sure you have all the allergy medication you may need, really thinking about all that and having it ready to go as well. And that's not just for you, but it's also for your family. And that means your pets as well. And again, it's one of those things that most people often overlook. Um, I had a dog that for a long time was on medication, so we need to make sure we always had not only medication, but little pill pockets so that way the dog would actually eat the medication. And so that's another thing to think about is if you need to give a medication, think about how you're giving it and what you may need to go ahead and give it out. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to medication, ask your doctor if you can get an emergency supply, maybe an extra seven day. Not every medication is available out there, and not every medication would be um, and it might be a cost issue as well too, where they can give you enough medication, but at least have a copy of your scripts if you can in your disaster kit. Sometimes when you go to a shelter, they'll have a medical provider there who can issue common short-term scripts for prescriptions that are um, uh, very popular or readily distributed um, that you might be able to get, or maybe something uh, that might be able to be a substitute, but at least if you need it, having some way to have it with you. Um, and then having some form of lighting. So let's go back to that got to get home from uh, a disaster. You know, we have an earthquake in the city. I have to walk home in three miles, let's say, and it's dark. You know, am I going to walk in the dark with the power being out in the streets? No. Am I going to use up my flashlight uh, that's on my phone? I wouldn't want to do that because then I'll drain the battery. So have a little battery or crank operated flashlight. And I'm a huge fan of glow sticks. Those are compact. I have a couple of them in my bag that I just, that I, my just general work bag that I carry around um, because glow sticks are great and they last for a long time and they don't have batteries. So you can light those to light your way or wherever you may be. Or if you have kids and they come with a lanyard, hang it around them so that you know where your kids are as you're walking around everywhere. 
Absolutely. And you know, that also works on Halloween night as well. Just one of those general safety tips, always put a little glow stick on a child, especially when no one is really paying attention. You need to make sure that something is around to keep them safe in the dark. If you're going out running, jogging, riding a bicycle, think about making sure other people can see you when you're out and about. Mm -hmm. And um, there's an entire market when it comes to flashlights. So you don't necessarily have to put a big D-cell mag light in your bag. Uh, There's a lot of flashlights out there that operate on um, uh, triple A battery or double A battery that provide adequate light and will last a long time because they're led, but having something uh, with you that you can carry because, and even, I mean, we might not use a flashlight just to get home, just throughout our day, we drop something behind our desk and it's darkened that black hole over there. Where are we going to find my pen or my keys? Well, you got your flashlight on you. Go ahead and use it there. The, the one thing I will say about the big 4D cell battery uh, flashlight, you can use those not only as a flashlight, but also as a weapon in case you need to be able to protect yourself. And I can tell you that uh, that will leave a long-lasting mark should you have to go ahead and swing it to protect yourself. <laughs> so um, he's right there. He's right there, kids. There we go. So those are the things that we view as crucial to have in your disaster kits there. But there is a whole list of should have for your disaster kit there. So we're going to come back on our next segment here. and We're going to talk about the should haves that you need to have in your disaster kit. So stay tuned. So about the things you need to have, these are the things you should have. And one of the big ones is garbage bags. Um, What are we going to do with all the waste? If we're in a disaster or recovery situation for a while, what are we going to have that? What are we going to do with the waste products, whether it is dry, dry waste or human waste? Or if we just want to store additional items because perhaps um, we have visited a recovery center or we've uh, met with a relief agency and they've given us some emergency supplies, where can we store them, especially to keep them out of the elements or in the rain if those are the weather conditions that are occurring right now? So making sure that you have adequate garbage bags uh, to be able to have uh, the the heavy-duty, sturdy ones that you may use for lawn maintenance. Um, Those are the ones you would much rather have than the normal kitchen ones, but just having them in general is a good practice for you. Absolutely. And then also having a disaster plan. And that disaster plan needs to have locations of emergency centers and shelters, uh, rallying points for you and your family, uh, possible evacuation routes of where you're going to be going to. And here's my little plug. If you haven't actually trained it out or tested it out with your family, please Please get it going on it, test it out, make sure everyone knows where they need to go, when they need to go. Yes, very important to do so, especially if you're traveling to areas that have a unique hazard threat. And so there's plenty of professional emergency literature out there that explains what to do during a type of disaster. FEMA puts out information, Red Cross puts out information, and local and state emergency management agencies have that information out there. So we, what we really want you to do is to understand the threats that are around you, whether they're at your home, your work, or when you travel, and then understand what can happen during that disaster and knowing where to go with that disaster plan. We may have a plan where we live, but if I travel to the Oregon coast where the tsunamis are a big threat, if I don't understand where the tsunami evacuation routes are or what's the high ground and something occurs at night in the rain, in the cold, in the winter, or with 20 other thousand people because it's the summertime, then we are going to be in a world of hurt. So study up. You don't have to take a college level course on it, on what creates tsunamis and earthquakes, but definitely study up on what happens during a disaster and where to go wherever you're at. 
And I think that that leads into making sure you have maps. And when you start looking at maps, making sure that you have the map for the location you're going to, not just the place that you actually call home. And making sure you also have travel information for the location you're going to be going to. Make sure you reach out and you sign up for those emergency alerts so that that way you know where you're going to be going, what might be facing you, and also what you may end up having to deal with. Definitely. And wherever you may be, the weather will be there with you. And so making sure that clothing for both elements protection and UV protection. So having a poncho, uh, an umbrella, some sort of headwear, especially if you know you're going to be around where there's going to be winter weather, having something to protect your hands. So having gloves for warmth and for uh, element protection, and then also for your face and your ears, maybe carrying a beanie or some sort of headwear. But it's very important to have weather appropriate clothing in there to protect you from the elements, especially, you know, we talk about the cold, but the heat can do it as well too. There's no need for us to survive a disaster situation and get sunburned at the same time because we did not have a hat that protected our face or our back or whatever area that may be exposed to the sun. And similar to that is making sure you have the bedding that you need. That means sleeping bags and blankets. You know, you can think about what you're going to need both uh, to get into them as well as what you should have on the ground underneath them, like thick plastic or some sort of oilcloth tarpon. So that way you can get, make sure the ground moisture stays away from the bedding. And you also, you can use them to go ahead and form a, a tarp tent if you need to, uh, to make sure you get protection from the dew or the rain. Mm-hmm. Excellent point. A lot of it looks like we're going camping here, but a lot of that camping uh, knowledge and equipment can really help us out when it comes to a survival situation. Now, some of the important things is having copies of medical records for each person in the family. If you are evacuated and you are going to a shelter and there's important medical documentation that you need, whether it is uh, something personal or for one of the members of your family, that it may be a medical provider needs to know about in that particular shelter, make sure you have copies of those. And you don't need paper copies necessarily. You can keep those if those are crucial, but also things such as power of attorneys, uh, medical directives, those items, especially if you're separated in a disaster, are crucial to have in your emergency kits. But having those, whether it's paper copy or scanned and put in an electronic format and password protected on a flash drive, that also works. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, then following that is making sure you have a signal mirror. Not only can a mirror be used to go ahead and let people know where you're at, you can use it to go ahead and heat up objects as well, but really making sure to have something that's going to get someone's attention. So that way at the 72 hours when help is finally arriving, you have somebody who can actually help you out and they can see where you are. Excellent point there. What, signal mirrors are one of the original items that were given to pilots in World War II um, and on from there in order to signal other aircraft that may be passing over trying to look for them. So if it worked for them, it definitely can work for you. In addition, having an emergency whistle, um, especially in an area like an earthquake or where you may be in a building that has partially collapsed or collapsed, but you're in a safe zone, rather than yelling and using up your voice and putting you possibly in more danger from getting sick or laryngitis, utilizing a whistle. A whistle can be used for search and rescue, so somebody could find you. It can be used to um, ward off people, because uh, that, that is a very loud noise. Um, but then also, in general, to identify. And there's a couple of camping methods out there that uh, if you learn and look on the internet about how many times a whistle is blown in order to signal for some assistance, might be something you guys want to take a look at on the out there while you're researching what to put inside your disaster kit. Ed, that sounds like something we should put on our Twitter uh, poll and see if people can actually know what the right answer is. 
Oh, I love that idea. Uh, you know, that also you talk about camping. I think about aluminum foil. And I know you're probably asking yourself, what aluminum foil? What are you talking about? Well, really, for aluminum foil, you can use it for a multitude of different uses. Uh, my favorite is my father-in-law used to actually wrap gifts uh, in aluminum foil. Um, so it became one of the things that it really is a general catch-all for everything and anything you could ever actually think about. You can help block out areas for the sun. Or you can start using it for the windows, start using it to actually heat things on. So it really has a multitude of uses. Excellent point. Bandanas. They're, bandanas are compact enough, and I carry one in my uh, just regular messenger bag for everyday carry. Uh, you never know when you may need a bandana. And it's not necessarily to uh, show that you're uh, going to rob a bank or anything, but wrapping a bandana around you uh, able, uh, protects your mouth and your breathing from taking in particulates, whether it's smoke. Um, Post-disaster, if you're walking around in an area that has uh, – maybe collapsed buildings, you don't want to breathe in that concrete dust and other particulate matter. So having a bandana to protect your breathing or to keep the sweat off of your brow, um, also protect areas of your head. And then as well, you can use it to uh, almost as a pseudo tourniquet if you needed to. So bandanas are crucial. Go ahead and throw those in your regular kit. You never know. Um, you can always be a gentleman and hand a bandana off to somebody who needs it to because, uh, for some assistance or so. Um, but bandanas, excellent thing to put in your disaster kit. Uh, and the last thing is folding saws. And you really think about when you might actually need this. It's when you start thinking about what you're going to be burning for a lot of time, you start thinking about what you may actually need to go ahead and get supplies, uh, cut string, cut uh, the tarp that you're using. Anything you can think of, you want to use something so that you want to have something so that way you can actually cut what you need to when you need to. Because most people don't have scissors. If you don't have a folding saw, at least make sure you have scissors. But I recommend a folding saw instead. Excellent. So when we talk about, I'm going to bring up, I'm going to go bounce off of your point there. When it comes to a folding saw, um, there's a lot of multi-tools out there that have a saw blade on there. So when you consider what we have in emergencies, having a multi-tool would be an excellent option. Um, and in addition to a multi-tool, having a battery pack. Uh, if you don't have an extra battery pack that you can pick up at Walgreens or Best Buy or any store, they're usually in the checkout line. I highly recommend picking one of those up the next time you're there. They're usually inexpensive and they will allow your phone, which we are as a society tied to because we get our notifications, our communications from there. Um, and in addition to other uh, functions that our phone can do, such as a flashlight, having an extra battery pack to provide our charge is crucial. That could be what gets you from point A to point B. I say in my presentations, there's nothing more scary than being in a disaster, but then having 5% on your phone and no way to charge it. That's very important. So if you're next in line, go ahead and grab one of those extra battery packs and, and then throw them into your um, disaster kit. And whatever you do, make sure it's charged. Don't just leave it around the house with no charge. Charge it up. And this is a, extremely important, especially when you have a disaster coming your way. Yep. Making sure things are charged. And if you do have the benefit of preparedness, that is one of the things to do is charge up all your devices because you don't know if we lose power in a windstorm, earthquake, hurricane, flooding, et cetera. Uh, we don't know when we're going to get that power back. And once again, things may be operational. I mean, we can have a flooding issue or a windstorm where the internet still works, but our phones are dead. So uh, making sure that we pre-plan and get all of that stuff taken care of. 
And then the other thing is see if you can get a crank operated radio. Uh, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to be able to stay in communication with people. If you have a radio, you can go ahead and crank it up, get it up and going. You're going to need to know where you need to go, how you need to get there. And that's the only way you're going to be able to find out if all the phones are down is by listening to the radio. Yep. We're going to go back down to uh, our lowest common denominator, as I say, and we will revert probably back to AM radio, AM FM radio, for broadcast set because we know we could reach people that way with emergency information and so making sure that you have a crank operated radio if you don't and it's battery operated have a way to charge it whether it's those external battery packs that i talked about or now the market for small portable solar chargers is huge and also affordable so getting a small portable solar charger it, you may have more benefits to using that in phoenix or where you are bill but man up here in the pacific northwest <laughs> we should get one anyway for those rare things we call the sun <laughs> that pop out, but definitely having a solar charger available and they are much more affordable than they were even two years ago. Um, very apt to have in your bag. And, you know, I think that also not only can we harness the sun, but also thinking about the things you might not be able to use because electricity is down. So as an example, an ATM machine, how many people never keep cash or change on hand anymore? Think about what you may need. And when the bank goes down, when the electronics go down, you're going to need to go ahead and pay for things somehow or another. So keep your stockpile of cash. And I don't mean just dollar bills. I'm talking about gold coins, silver coins, something you can use to go ahead and purchase items. Because if you don't have it, how are you going to be able to pay for it? Now, hopefully you have good neighbors. Hopefully they're willing to help you out. But a lot of other people are going to be looking for cold, hard cash. And so part of that is making sure you have some sort of gold or silver on hand. And as you have cold, hard cash on you, you also want to know who you are. So have some sort of positive identification documents that say who you are. And I highly recommend having these in your disaster kit because not necessarily for maybe the response phase, but definitely the recovery phase. If you had to evacuate your home and all of your identification documents, your marriage certificates, birth certificates, passports, all of this information that says who you are has been burned up in the fire, then we don't have any way to identify or confirm your identity. And so that becomes a, a huge um, a barrier to when you are applying for recovery assistance. So have some identification documents on your disaster kit. And once again, I said, you don't have to put the paper copies in there. You can scan them into a computer, put them onto a flash drive, password protected, but definitely put those ID documents in there. And if you have any medical identification, medical alert, um, your uh, medical alert bands that may carry, those are very important to have. So have some way that if, if we have to uh, I, uh, assist in identification or if you are needing additional assistance, um, functional needs type of assistance, then having some type of uh, alert or medical band to let you know. And I think the last thing really to think about is weapons. And, you know, look, I understand that it'd be nice if everyone was very nice to us and we never had to worry about some sort of form of violence. But unfortunately, everyone's going to need to think about how you're going to protect yourself and your family and what really things can be used for. So, Ed, you'd already talked about sort of the idea of having a multi-tool. And on a multi-tool, think about things you would need like knives, uh, being able to use something like duct tape and rope because it not only can be used to go ahead and support you when you need to during a disaster, you can also use to tie people up if you need to. Uh, you need to think about wire, uh, animal traps for binding, uh, making sure to be able to get your supplies together, putting your shelters together. Also think about firearms. And if you have a firearm, make sure you have extra ammunition and make sure it's the right ammunition. 
I can't tell you the number of times where I've been told, oh, I have this and this and this, but then you start looking at what they have to actually use inside of it and they don't have the right ammunition. So make sure you have the right ammunition. Think about things like slingshots or pellet guns or blow guns and think about how you could be able to use those to go ahead and get maybe small animals or to go ahead and protect yourself in case of a disaster. Uh, using a hatchet that you can use to cut down trees but also be able to protect yourself. Pepper spray against animals and against people. Uh, and the last thing is think about small fishing tackle. You know, not only can you use it to go ahead and get food, you can also use it to go ahead and set up traps and also to get uh, some sort of alerting system in case someone tries to come into your area. Excellent points there, Bill. Um, disasters uh, sometimes bring out the best in people, but then at other times they can bring out the worst in people. So something to consider. Um, and as we talked about all the stuff that was needed in our bug out bags and our disaster kits, we've got all that stuff now. But now the question is, where do we store it? So that'll be the topic of our next section. Well, now that we talked about weapons and how to go and protect yourself, unfortunately, because you do need to think about that in case of disaster, now we need to start the, thinking about where we're going to store all this stuff. So, Ed, where would you say we should start thinking about storing these kind of things? Yeah, so storing all this uh, stuff here, uh, stuff here, uh, storing everything most of the time we're going to be in our house. So where are we going to put our go bags and our disaster kit and our disaster supplies? Well, it can go in an unused room. Um, so if we have an extra office or a closet, we can put you know, all of our items in there and we want to know what goes in there. So a couple of things to consider. We want to consider ease of access. We want to consider um, how quickly we can get there. If the power is out, I mean, if we have an earthquake at night and I can't turn on the light switch, do I know where in my house it may be? And depending on where we live, if we live in a, uh, a smaller area, maybe a uh, you know 1,200 square foot home that's single level, it may be relatively easy. But if we live in a, maybe in a multi-story home or in a large area uh, that is maybe on a piece of property, you know where are we going to put all of our disaster supplies that allows us for a couple of things? One, to be able to get to it quickly. And two, to be able to carry it with us quickly if we have to. Um, most importantly, Bill was talking about weapons and the need for possible self-defense and everything. Make sure that storage of guns and ammo is out of reach and secure from children. It is very crucial. Those are not toys. Um, they are uh, items to be utilized in a disaster situation, but they are not toys. So don't put them anywhere where kids can get to them. Now, if we think about placing the stuff um, underground, you know, maybe we have a little compartment that we're utilizing or even in a basement. A couple things to consider. Is it dry there? Will bugs get into it? Will it get trapped? And I think that's a crucial one when you start to consider different types of hazards. If, it, if your house is shifted off the foundation because of an earthquake, are you going to be able to access that uh, uh, disaster kit down there in the basement? Or if there's a flooding issue and something happens, is all of the stuff that you've prepared for to be able to ride out a disaster for two weeks, is it now underwater? So a couple of things to consider when you're deciding to place your disaster supplies in your bug out bags. And the other thing you can think about is some sort of hidden compartments and whether or not you might be able to hide something somewhere in your house. But then when you start thinking about that, think about how secure that area is, who knows about where it was built, and who might accidentally discover it by accident. Treasure map. <laughs> and I think that goes uh, very quickly now to thinking about what we're going to do actually at work. And if you think about storing things at work, you can think about who has access to that storage area. 
how often you actually check that storage area. I can't tell you a number of times that I've come to my office and find things in my office rearranged. And think about, um, you know, what would you store different at work than at home? And that things, things like, you know, extra water. Uh, for me, uh, I obviously want to think about what kind of things I can use to open up bottles. We talked about bottled beer before, uh, but we do need to think about some sort of way of opening up cans, some sort of idea of maybe um, candles, something to actually use for a candle to light, like matches. Uh, and again, think about those kind of things that you would need uh, different at work than at home. Yeah. And having a disaster kit at work is crucial because, I mean, if you think about it, if, if we work a Monday through Friday, that is 40 hours of the work week that primarily we are at work or in route or coming home during our commute. So making sure that we have stuff with us. And I always say that's crucial is to have the, what you need with you. And you can have all you can be prepared for two weeks at home. But if you don't have anything at work and something happens, then how good is that two weeks worth of supplies at home going to be for you if you have no way to get to it? And so considering if we are at work, at least having a portion of our disaster kit supplies there readily accessible for it. I think that also goes back to, you know, you talk about work and we talked about uh, home. We should talk about the vehicle and getting from point A to point B. And really think about, number one, how much gas you need. You know, I have always said over and over again, get at least a half tank of gas. Look, I like running it all the way down almost empty myself, but you need to have at least a half tank of gas. Why? So that way, in case you need to get somewhere, you have enough to get you to where you need to get to. Because again, if power goes out, you're not going to be able to pump gas. So make sure you have what you need on hand when you need it. Yes, and depending on where you are, it may be a while before gas gets into the area. I can tell you here in the Portland metro area, about 85% of the state of Oregon's fuel supply, the state of Oregon, not just Portland, is located a stretch along the stretch of the Columbia River that is susceptible to liquefaction and when an earthquake strikes. So 85% of the state of Oregon's fuel needs may be lost or disrupted during an earthquake. So it might be a while before we get gas coming back in. So making sure they always at least have half a tank because you don't know when you may need gas and we may need not to drive necessarily, but maybe if we're stuck somewhere, we need to keep ourselves warm. Um, cars also act as battery chargers. If you can keep running, you could charge your batteries or so. So a lot of things, not just from point A to point B, but a lot of things happen in our vehicles. And so where do we put our disaster kits? Does it all fit? Who has access? Where do you park it? What other questions do we have to consider there, Bill? Well, I think we also need to think about when you're parking it and who has access to it and uh, does it all fit? You need to think about is your car actually going to work when you need it to? And really, that goes everything from your tires to windshield wipers. And think about when the last time was that you had it serviced and making sure that you have the things you need, your air filter, your oil. You need to make sure you have extra belts on hand just in case you need it to be able to get, again, out to where you need to get to when you need it. I want to uh, – jump on board that one as well uh, when it comes to making sure if everything's operating and there are times bill i agree with you i'll take it down to the gaslight um, but taking it down to the very bare minimum of where your vehicle can go that is going to be your single point or that's going to be your um, what do they call it the, the weakest link in your chain um, if you are if you know you are dealing with winter weather that comes through the winter weather season making sure that your tires are adequate to be able to provide you the traction that you need to either get through a particular area or uh, get yourself transporting between one place and the other 
uh, is crucial. So whatever the season is, whatever the road conditions are, make sure you're adequately prepared by having the stuff that you need inside and outside of your vehicle. And I think the other thing is you start thinking about not just a car, not just home, not just work, but maybe storing supplies somewhere else. And that means storing it somewhere in the wilderness or storing it somewhere where you know who owns that property. Um, if you end up storing on someone's, someone else's property, make sure you get their permission. Don't store something where someone doesn't know about it. Um, make sure that when you're going to do this, you think about why you might need to get to that point. So as an example, you need to evacuate right away. You know that your stuff at home, your stuff at work may not end up being the only thing you need. Your family members need, may need more as well if you have to go camping. So think about camping areas and think about what you might need like an RV or having extra supplies on hand there as well. Excellent point. When we talk about our disaster kit and building, um, remember, we're not just talking about individually. While it's very important that we need to have individual preparedness, we as humans, we are a community, we are family, we are social creatures, which means that when we have to endure a disaster situation, we're probably going to be with other people. Whether or not it's our loved ones, our family, or even our neighbors, we want to make sure that everybody is adequately prepared because if we know somebody who is not prepared and now they're with us our supplies now are shared amongst all those people and so it's crucial for us to be able to make sure that all of us are prepared because as a community whether it's your neighborhood or your family wherever you are you can pull together resources we talked about a lot of the stuff you can carry but imagine if your group or your family all had that now the extension of your supplies from 72 hours is now multiplied by how many people are there um, and so you can see that that's a benefit towards how well you can respond and recover as that disaster progresses. And Ed, again, this is where I say sort of our trademark line at this point, it's shaking hands before disaster hits rather than pointing fingers after. If you can end up getting your community and getting your organization going for your neighborhood, that's going to end up making you that much more resilient. And if you can do anything, get to know your neighbors, knock on the door, say hi, uh, offer maybe the uh, the beer that we've talked about, offer a glass of wine, uh, cookies, whatever you need to do. Get to know your neighbors so that, that way they can look out for you and you can look out for them. Ed, what are some of the lessons? Exactly. Ed, what are some of the lessons learned uh, from this episode? Well, we definitely learned where go bags started. Um, you know, pilots needed emergency supplies with them in case of an emergency right off the bat. So if we, if the pilots went down in enemy territory or uh, inhospitable territory, if they were bush pilots, uh, what they would have on them would be the stuff that they would need to be able to survive. So knowing that if pilots are in a position where they had to be able to survive the elements to get back to civilization or back to where everything was normal, boy, that's something that we should probably take in mind as well. Absolutely. And then we talked about also what goes in your bag, and that is food, water, medication. Uh, not only the things that are mandatory, um, sort of the things that are nice to have, and also the things that, you know, would really add value. And that includes using things that you might be able to barter as well. And then once you have all that stuff that we talked about, and there was a lot of stuff there, uh, where do we store it? Where in our home can we place these items uh, in a, either in a, in a backpack uh, uh, scenario, where can we put them? Can we put them inside 
our garage, front of the home. So where do we store them so that we can get to them when we need to? And if we aren't at home and we're not at work, Bill, where should we put them? Well, and this is in your car. And this is sort of my one safety tip. I got to tell you, if you put something in your car, don't leave it in plain sight. Please, please, please don't talk about it on social media. Don't leave it in plain sight because all you're doing is making yourself a target. So if you store it in your car, lock it up, put it underneath the blanket, make it so it's not very obvious to everyone who's walking by. And speaking of making, not making it obvious to everybody who's walking by, what, what is, now that we live in this age, uh, Bill, what should we not do? Don't post things on social media. I don't know how many times I need to tell people that. If you have a good kid, don't brag about it. Why don't you brag about it? Because you don't want to make yourself a victim. So if you have a great kid, you can talk about what goes in your kid. You can talk about, you know, how you're going to store it, make sure it's nicely, nice and safe. But don't talk about where you're going to be, because if you put it where it's going to be, that's just going to make it a target for someone else to go and get it. And in addition to that, be very careful if you are if you are part of an evacuation that's moving somewhere. I know it is very critical for all of us to let people, our loved ones know uh, maybe our employers know where we are going. That's great for text messaging and making phone calls, putting it on Facebook that you have just left your house and we are going to be at this particular location for our shelter can be very, very tempting for the people who decide they did not want to leave um, or who have other nefarious uh, intentions. So Bill is correct. Don't advertise things on social media, especially during these situations here that could leave you to be a target uh, for uh, malfeasance from people who don't have the best of intentions. Exactly. Always be safe. Always be safe. That's right. Well, I think uh, go bag is pretty much we uh, we got all the go bag stuff taken care of, right, Bill? Absolutely. I think we're uh, you know ready to move on to thinking about what's going else is going to happen in 2019. Yeah. So 2019 is a big year for us. We've got a lot of people lined up we want to talk about. And we're excited to hear your ideas as well. So definitely tune in to stateofready.com slash podcast. You can find a listing of all of our podcasts, our topics, and our previous podcasts that we've had, as well as blog posts, updates, and oh boy, so many other things that we have. Uh, in store so definitely take a look at stateofready.com for our podcast you can also find our podcast on spotify or mostly the anchor app but from there you can go to spotify apple podcast uh google podcast um and a lot of other places overcast is some and well the whole list is on anchor uh, but definitely you can check us out at all of those places and and where can they go if they want to get in touch with you so they can reach me at uh, Edward, or you can reach me at readynorthwest.com, readynw.com. You can reach me on Twitter, ready underscore Northwest. We love to hear what you think about our podcast. And Bill, where can they reach you? Well, they can reach me on Twitter at, at 21Kletz. Again, that's at 21Cletz. You can also reach me at my email address, which is 21Kletz at gmail.com. And uh, again, like Ed said, we're always available. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes or guests, please feel free to get in touch with us. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us here on State of Ready, Bug Out Bags, Episode 1 of 2019. We will talk to you later. So listen to, <laughs> listen to Uncle Bill here. He's, he's got the stories for you. <laughs> Many stories. So those are the things we... Go ahead and talk about them. Yeah, maybe that's our next holiday episode right there. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Bill's stories by the fire.